All right, let's look at our passage tonight. That's good. Asher is the eighth son of Jacob, and the second son of Zilpah. Genesis 30:13. Are you there? Genesis 30:13. Notice, and Leah said, "Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed." And she called his name Asher or Esher. Asher's name means happy. It means happy. Notice some things I want to give you tonight by way of introduction. Asher in his name itself is referred to 42 times in the Old Testament. In Joshua 19, verses 24 to 31, I was just, I've been reading through, slowly reading through Joshua uh, for, for part of my devotions. The tribe of Asher received the fifth lot in the inheritance that Joshua gave up, gave away, and they received 22 cities with their villages. That's important when you study through that a little bit there, when you consider the, the, the geographic location. Anna, the prophetess, we find in Luke chapter 2, was a descendant of Asher. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 says, and there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Now, two passages of Scripture speak significantly about Asher. I'm going to preach on one of them tonight. In a future point in time, I'll preach about the other one. The one is what we just read in Genesis 49, 20. The other one is Deuteronomy 34, verses 24 to 25. And I'll probably preach that another time because there is a significant uh, mention there by Moses there. Now notice again our text, out of Asher his bread shall be fat and he shall yield royal dainties. Asher pictures for us a happy man, a happy person. Are you a happy man? I like my friend Dr. Lorena. He gets up at churches, are you happy tonight? Are you happy tonight? For 40 years, that's what he's asked his church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every youth conference, every Bible conference, every preaching conference. He'll get up and say, are you happy tonight? And he gets a resounding amen. Man, you can't go to Christian Bible Baptist Church in San Pedro without seeing a bunch of happy Christians. We went to five of his works in Taiwan. All of them are happy Christians. The preacher gets up, are you happy tonight? And they say, yes, sir, we're happy tonight in the Lord. Are you a happy Christian tonight? Listen, if your sins are forgiven, if you're saved, your name is written in heaven, you should say, amen, I'm happy tonight. Amen? amen. Now, does your spouse... Does your children, your, do your children, do they think you're happy? Do people around you consider you happy? Is your disposition of a long, saddened, drawn face? Are you happy? Are you happy as a norm? Only when things circumstantially affect you. Notice the verses, out of Asher, his bread shall be fed. Now that's significant. Jacob is leaning on his staff. Jacob could not get out of bed. The Bible tells us the last thing about Jacob in Hebrews 11, that he worshiped leaning upon his staff. That was the pilgrim's staff. He was leaning upon the Lord. The staff is a representation of leaning on Jesus Christ. He's the branch. Notice, bread is a food staple. Every culture has its version of bread as a food staple. Bread is considered the essential of life. Bread is considered the essence of life and the basic of all of our food sources. You go to most restaurants, and if it's a sit-down meal you order from a menu, you typically ask, is there going to be bread or they serve you bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When he said that everyone in that Jewish audience understood exactly what he was talking about. They saw him and he was speaking about being the essence of life. Now notice, Asher is a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. His bread shall be made fat, speaks about his product or the essence of his life. Notice again, 
Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat. His essence, his product, what he gives forth will be that which is abundant, that which is a blessing. Fatness in the Bible was not derogatory. Fatness in the Bible spoke about being a blessing, of something that was overflowing, something that was abundant. His essence or his product gave much happiness. May I say this tonight? Christians are to give much happiness to this world. They're not going to find it in entertainment. They're not going to find it in the world. They're not going to find it in sin. Listen, you and I must picture what is true happiness in the lives of people around us. Would you notice tonight some things about Asher? Number one, would you consider tonight the spirit of happiness? The spirit of happiness. Now, happy in itself, that word specific, happy, is found 25 times in the Bible. Now, we've got to go a little bit deeper than that. When we look at the 25 times, 19 of those times it's in the Old Testament, six of those times it's in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have to drill a little bit deeper. We have to look at the word blessed. The word blessed, and you want to look at the Hebrew word esher or asher, the word blessed or asher applied to this is used 27 additional times in addition to the other 19 times. And so we find 27 times, or if you went 46 times total, the word happy or blessed is used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, a different word is used in addition to happy. In the New Testament, the word blessed is the word makarios in, in the New Testament, uh, Greek, and it's found an additional 44 times. So in the New Testament, 50 times, the word makarios is used to describe blessed. For instance, we get over to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and he starts out, blessed are the meek, and blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness there. We find that the word blessed and happy are very, very important words. We find that many, many times it's describing something wonderful. Now happiness, if you want a definition, happiness is having a cheerful, a joyful, a merry, a positive, and upbeat disposition. I'm going to repeat that again tonight. Happiness is having a cheerful, a joyful, a merry, a positive, and upbeat disposition. Happiness is a smile on the face and contentment in the soul. Some think that happiness is found in accumulations. Some think happiness is found in accomplishment. Now, in a sense, it is, but it's momentary. Some think it's found in much knowledge or acumen. Why don't you consider some statements tonight? A man by the name of Abdul Rahman was quoted in Gibbon's book, The, fall and the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He was a leader among the, among the Muslims, and he said this, I have now reigned above 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honors, power and pleasure have waited on my call, nor does any earthly blessing appear appear to have been wanting to my felicity. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days, listen to this, in this situation, I've diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot. Now before I tell you those number of days, remember, he's quoting the fact that he's ruled for 50 years. He said, in this situation, I've diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot. This is what he said, they numbered to 14. A man who ruled, who talked about all the riches and power and all the people that came to him, his subject who loved him, all that. He said, the total number of days I can count that I can say I have had true happiness are 14 days. So this man was numbering his days. Moses said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Alexander the Great conquered the world, known world in his day. 
Having done so at the age of 33, he wept because he said there are no more worlds to conquer, and he died of a drunken stupor. True happiness is developed as a spiritual temperament. I want you to remember that tonight. True happiness is developed as a spiritual temperament. True happiness is a glad contentment regardless of the circumstances. True happiness has its foundations in the right decisions. True happiness is found in being the right person. Let me repeat that tonight. True happiness is found in making the right decisions. True happiness is, finds its fruition in being the right person. If you're not the right person, you're not going to have true happiness. If you're not making the right decisions, you're not going to have true happiness. Henry Ward Beecher said this, happiness is not the end of life, character is. I want you to see some things about the spirit of happiness first, because that's where we're going to. We're going to have a, we're going to have an enjoyable Bible study. I want you to see something, and I'm going to take a little bit more time, but I want you to see six, just six of many components tonight, just six of them tonight, six of many components about the, that make up this matter of happiness, and I hope you'll listen very carefully. And, and, as I, and as I refer to verses, I want you to turn to those verses. I might even look at some man and say, sir, would you get up and read those verses to us tonight? Notice, not, number one, we we, uh, ha- we can be happy because we are forgiven. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. We can be happy because we're forgiven. Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. Would you notice the scriptures tonight? Blessed is he, or happy is he, whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. You know, every now and then, now I don't know about you, but every now and then, when discouragement sets in, when the devil throws something at you to get you distracted or gets me distracted, I have to go to Psalms 32 to remind myself, blessed or happy is the man whose, sin, whose transgressions is forgiven. Now that's a wonderful studying verses 1 and 2, just by studying the words given for sin. Transgression, of course, meaning that we've, we have crossed a forbidden line. Sin being the word iniquity and talking about having missed the mark, the word hamartia. Uh, the Lord speaking about iniquity here, talking about depravity and uh, the, the, and, uh, and, things, and things like that. Think of the freedom that's found in forgiveness. Think of the release that's found in forgiveness. Think of the acceptance and reconciliation we have when there is forgiveness. Think of the future we have as believers because there is forgiveness. I'm so thankful tonight that 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The story is told of a king who had suffered much from his rebellious subject. There was just pushback and rebellion and disobedience. Then the day came when all the subjects he had in his kingdom realized what they were doing was not right and what they were doing would bring eventually the judgment of the king upon them. All of these subjects got together. They assembled into the courtyard of the king and they asked for an audience with him. The king came out with many of his soldiers thinking that the rebellion was going to lead to a major confrontation and fracas. And as they approached, as he came out to the, to the courtyard there, all of the subjects bowed down to the king and they had a spokesman that read from a piece of paper and from this piece of paper that said that man who represented all the subjects they said sire we beg for your mercy we realize today that we have been we've been out of our place and we've been rebellious and disobedience and we've been out of our place and we asked you that you'd forgive us and we asked for mercy and immediately as the king heard that and he saw all the subjects of the kingdom they're 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 in that courtyard kneeling down and pleading for mercy automatically carte blanche the king gave a pardon to everyone 
one of those subjects. Every one of them were pardoned for their crimes of insubordination and disobedience and rebellion. One of his, his men who was very close to him, one of his closest counselors came up to the king and he said, did you not say that every rebel should die? Why are you forgiving these people? They were rebels. Did you not say that every rebel should die? And I like the response of the king. The king said, yes, but I see no rebels here. And I'm thankful tonight that's how God looks at you and me, amen? I see no rebels here. I don't see that. He says, I see people that I've forgiven. I see people who's the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, has covered. We can be thankful and happy tonight because we're forgiven. But notice, secondly, we can be happy tonight because we're to be separated. Go with me to Psalms 1-1. Psalms 1-1. Would you do that, please? Anybody have that handheld ready? Someone have that handheld ready, brother? Do we have a handheld ready there? I'm going to ask one of our men to read. Brother Andreas, can I ask you if you wouldn't mind reading Psalms 1-1 to us tonight? If you'd read cl clearly into that, uh, that handheld. Now, notice in Psalms 1-1, and I want you to write in the margin there if you've never done this, that Psalms 1-1 presents to us the doctrine of separation. Now, the doctrine of separation is a very touchy subject in most churches nowadays. In fact, I think in most churches, especially independent Baptist churches, when if a preacher gets up and it takes an entire message to preach on separation, I think the, the hair of the, of the typical member stands up and the little bit, they're a little bit apprehensive of what the preacher is going to say. Let me, let me give you a definition of what Bible separation means. The doctrine of separation means having no fellowship with sources that will, adverse, that will adversely affect our spirit, our doctrinal beliefs, our closeness to God, and his local church, uh, what direction we're heading in, or influence that will lead to sin. Now, that, there's a whole plethora of things we could say about that. And if you, you know, I hope you'll, come on, you'll be here on, on Wednesday nights when we're going through the study of 1 Thessalonians because it covers every doctor of Scripture. I have one specific message. We get to 2 Thessalonians 3. I have one specific message I'm going to give just on what the doctrine of separation means and how does it apply to where we're at in, in terms of our Christianity today. But tonight, I want you to think about it this way. The Bible says, have no fellowship with or with, from such withdrawal thy now, in the context of Psalms 1-1, notice the separation that's implied here, okay? He says here, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, counsel means advice, or who you're getting your counsel from, your advice from, okay? Now, we must make the decision to be separated when it comes to our counsel or device. Notice the description here. He says, the man, the Christian who is happy is the one who does not get his counsel from the ungodly. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you tonight, okay? Because I don't want to get long... There's a lot I have to cover this evening. Number one, he's saying this. When it comes to important matters, grave matters, Christian life matters, marriage matters, when it comes to serious matters of your life, you're not to go to the lost, the unsaved, to get your counsel and your advice. You're not to go to the counsel of the lost or the unsaved to get your advice, okay? Now, I, I, I'm going I'm to get on some little controversial with you tonight, okay? And I've had, some, I've had some church members get in my face and actually rebuke me that I was wrong. And I'm going to tell you I'm scripturally right. One of those areas I'm going to tell you about right now, we are seeing a rise, an incredible rise of people who are suffering from serious anxiety disorders, and serious depression problems, okay? Now, if you, if you want to know what depression is, I'm not going to get into that tonight, but and they're real problems. Let me tell you that tonight. They're real problems that affect you. But you must understand there's a lot more to that than what I'm just saying tonight. 
And part of the challenge with that is that there are very few so-called, quote-unquote, Christian counselors that know how to deal with this matter. First of all, it's a stronghold. Whenever you get into depression, whenever you get into uh, anger issues or bitterness or, or emotional issues, I want you to understand tonight that is a satanic stronghold. It begins with the mind. It began with something that happened externally that affected you or something that you saw or you heard. Okay. Now, watch this tonight. When you go to the sources that are out there in the secular world, they're typically uh, licensed professional counselors. They've gone through certain amounts of training, per se. They're clinical doctors. They're clinicians in that context, and they've been trained a certain way. May I tell you tonight, they were not trained in the Scriptures. They do not have the mind of God. And so they, 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 they're trained to ask you certain questions. You, talk, you know, I've been in meetings with church members who've gone through this stuff to give support to the church member. At the end of the day, the church member says, what do you think? I said, did they ask you anything about the Bible? Did they tell you what God's remedy is for it? They said, no. Then I said, well, that tells you your answer right there. And they'll ask you all these questions, and, when you're, when, and they're looking for certain answers. When the answers don't match up, you know what they do? They'll take out a piece of paper, they'll write your prescription, say, go to Walmart, go to Costco, go to CVS, and get this prescription filled. And you know, I, I said, well, what's in the prescription? I said, well, look at the side effects. All the side effects lead to more depression. All the side effects lead to suicidal tendencies. All the side effects make you sadder. All the side effects mess with the chemical, the chemical, the chemistry of your brain and, and gets it out of balance because you have to have your chemistry and it's all these type of things. And I'm not saying that perhaps that you, you shouldn't be seeing that. I'm not because I don't want to be giving medical advice here. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying here tonight that I've just found in my own experience for my own personal life, I found that just a little bit more time of prayer and fasting kind of changes things a little bit there. Okay? And I'm not saying you're wrong. If you're going through that, I'm not saying that because there are imbalances. I realized, hey, listen, we, we, we live in a body of sin. We live in a body of sin, okay? And because we live in a body of sin, we must understand there are things that happen. And then some of us are affected by external things that have happened over time that affect us. And, you know, listen, if you, if you were someone that got exposed to drugs, okay, drugs will have a, a very adverse impact on your mind. And if you're someone that was raised in a home or environment where there was a lot of abusive behavior and things like that, that has an adverse effect on you and it, and it morphs your mind. If you were someone that got around people that introduced you to pornography, or wickedness like that, it adversely affects your mind. And I'm going to understand that. You, you, don't have, you won't find a pastor in fundamentalism more sympathetic to that stuff than me. I understand this stuff. I've worked with it, and I love these people. I love our people who are going through this. And my heart breaks and bleeds for them when they go through these kind of things here. But I want to tell you, understand something tonight, okay? You need to be very discerning because before you get your advice from your doctor or your psychologist, you better ask God, is that what I'm supposed to do? Amen. You better say, God, is that what I'm supposed to do? And I'm going to tell you something tonight. You might go to Alcoholic Anonymous. They may tell you something there, but I'm going to tell you, they're going to tell you what's based on clinical advice. They're not going to tell you what's based on spiritual advice right here. Okay? So I'm just saying tonight, that's one of many things. Hey, career counseling. Career counseling. Career counseling is based upon getting to the top of the totem pole. Career counseling is about the bottom line. And I'm not against that in terms of somebody helping you understand the dynamics of your, of, your, of your career and where you need to go. Because there's some things you may not understand about your career. But you have to be long-term in your thinking. You've got to plot out where do you see yourself at the end of the journey. Uh, not just there. But you've even got to be careful in some context. And Brother Arnold could vouch for this. He's in finances. But some of our men are in finance. But you have to understand something. You've even got to be careful people you go to for financial advice. Here are the people say, well, he's a Christian. Well, so? Does he read his Bible? So you walk with God? I ask people this. I say, well, I got a financial advisor. My first question you want to ask him is, does he own a home? 
If he's ranting and he's giving you financial advice, I scratch my head and says, well, I don't know if I want that guy to give me advice. Ask him where his debt is. Ask him to show you his credit card statement. Oh, I can't show you that's privacy. That means he's in debt. He doesn't want to tell you about that. I'm just saying tonight, you have to understand there's something. Now, here, how about this? How about getting your counsel about marriage? And I can tell you, instant after instant after instant where they didn't get your counsel there, and they're very miserable people. They're hurting. They're hurting. They're hurting. And I have a lot to say there, but I'm just saying tonight, please, a Christian friend, brother and sister Christ, I'm talking to you as your pastor. I'm talking to you even as a father to his children, as Paul would say. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of God. And it's one thing to hear the counsel. It's another thing to follow through the counsel, because that's what that's talking about there. Okay? So we have to be careful that we're separated when it comes to counsel. Secondly, notice this. We always make decisions to be separated when it comes to our associations. Okay? I'm a people person. I love people. But I had to learn a long time ago that there are certain people that are not part of my inner circle. If you know what I'm saying. How many understand what I'm saying tonight? Amen? People that are part of your inner circle, people that have a tendency to influence you. Okay? Now you should make a list. Who influences you? If you're a follower, there's two types of personalities. There are leader personalities, there's follower personalities. You want to find a leader? Go over to the nursery with me tonight. We'll see. I'll show you who the leaders are in the nursery, okay? I'll show you who leads the rat pack. Amen? You know? And if you're a follower personality, which a lot of us are, that means you give credence to something somebody says. You consider somebody that because of their words or because they're cool or because they're persuasive personality that you're going to fall into. Hey, let me tell you something tonight. This is on the internet. I don't care. There's a host, a generation of young preachers the age of Justin, Brother AJ, Brother Irwin, Brother Daniel. Brother Daniel's still young, okay, compared to me. Brother Daniel here? parking lot. He couldn't hear me. <laughs> Brother Vaughn, there's a, there's a generation of young men that are listening to wrong voices. They're at the point right now, even my friends who are my age says, are you gonna, one of them said, are you going to call him out? I, he, he wanted to, he was going to tell me, I don't think you should call him. I'm, I'm going to call him out. Because the Bible says, mark that man. And they're going over here, and here's what's happening. The problem is they haven't drawn the line in the sand. Yeah. Now listen, Christian, you can have Bible preaching at Heritage Baptist Church, you can draw the line in the sand. In fact, I've drawn the line for you. Yes. If you're not sure, come see me, I'll draw the line for you. I'll draw it very, in fact, I'll draw a circle around you too, amen? You've got to draw the line of sand and know exactly what you're Listen, if you go to Bible college, you're supposed to have your convictions settled by the time you get out of Bible college. Amen, guys? Yeah. Okay? What in the world? You, you can't, don't have your convictions settled, so you're trying to, you can't decide, should I use the King James or not use the King James? And, and now the, the, society, the, the culture we're in is going this way, so I've got to be Mr. Cool, and I've got to adapt to the culture and all of that. You know what? We have chameleon Christians when we need character Christians. Yeah. Chameleon Christians adapt to the culture. They change whatever the culture is like. I've got a friend who's preaching our pulpit who's not going to preach anymore. I still love him. I pray for him and I'll, I'll be a friend to him and I'll pray with him, but I won't have him preach for him. I've got a friend right now. Someone described him as a chameleon. Wherever he goes, he adapts to the culture there. I said, Well, you can't preach here then. I'm not going to have him influence you. You say, You're into mind control. No, I'm into Bible control. I'm into God's control, okay? 
I've been down this road long enough, okay? I've seen what this has. All this phenomena that's going on. Well, I guess we better pay attention here because Mr. Cool, Joe Cool over here, Cool Christian's over here doing his thing. Listen, that stuff that happened in the 70s, that stuff happened in the 80s, that stuff happened in the 90s, that stuff happened in the early 2000s, it's happening again. It says, there's, listen, Solomon's answer to that is there's nothing new under the sun. You know what, just get your nose, just, you know, just, just, what the Jesus said, hey, put your, put your, put your, put, put the harness on, go to work and serve God, amen? amen. Be happy serving the Lord. But he's talking about here, about your association, now you got to think here very clearly, where's your friendships leading you, where's your influences leading you? I found over the years, I tell all, all of you who are single this, I, I tell you this in marriage counseling, I say, okay, hey, thank God you got all these friends like this, this is about this many friends. But ask some of us who've been down the road a little bit, you know what happens to all those friendships? Because you become a little bit more mature. You become a little bit more biblical in your thinking, or you should be. And you're realizing, are they going to help me or are they going to hurt me? Where are they leading me to? Okay? And Pastor Fong is not trying to be your enemy or saying, here he goes again. He's trying to control who I choose. My, I'm not gonna, listen, you make up your mind who your friends are. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Amen? The Bible says, happy is the man. Look at it again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the way of sinners. Okay? What I hate about Disneyland and other places like that is I don't like standing in lines. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're standing in the line with the same way they're going. Okay? You have to ask your question. What's the end result of these people? Okay? So he says, blessed or happy. What's he talking about? Well, maybe at the moment it doesn't maybe make you feel happy because nobody likes to be rejected. Nobody likes to be left out. Nobody likes to find out, hey, how come I wasn't invited? Nobody wants to, nobody wants to feel like, oh, how, come I didn't, how come I didn't go to have fun here? I feel like I, I got jipped right there. And, you know, and some people think this, okay, well, you know, we're going to have church on Sunday night, and the Warriors have to be playing. It's the championship game. The championship game going, I, and you know, pastor's mean. He's having Sunday night service when he could have done afternoon service, and we can still watch the game. Brother Kwong's thinking that right now, amen, you, you know? <laughs> hey, what's good for the soul, amen? And then he says this here tonight. He says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, that's a, that's a tough one. If you're not careful, if you get around an angry person, the Bible says make no friendship with an angry man. The Bible tells us this. It says, if you have to be careful, if you get around a bitter person, this is going to spill over to you. It defiles many. Because bitterness has a lot of moving components to itself there. I'm just saying tonight, the Bible tells us happy is the man who is biblically separated. Hey, listen to what George Washington, the first president of the United States said. Associate with men of good quality if you esteem your reputation. For it is better to be alone than in bad company. Now that was mentioned by our first president who happened to be a Christian. Praise the Lord. Amen. Number, number C, would you notice this? Uh, we, we can be happy because we, we live in obedience. Psalms 119, would you go there please? Psalms 119, look at notice verses 1 and 2. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Underline that phrase. By the way, Psalms 119, why don't you make a project this week to read all of Psalms 119 a couple times. It's the word of God Psalm. Go back to, I think, 2007 or 2008. I did a 22-week or 23-week series on Psalms 119 on Wednesday nights. And go back and study that. It's the word of God Psalm, okay? And he says in verse 2, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Underline, underline that. And that seek him with the whole heart. Now, there's happiness in being obedient to God's word. How do you know that? Well, notice Proverbs 29, 18. I need someone to read that. Proverbs 29, 18. Let me find somebody real quickly here. Brother Herman, can you read that for us, please? Can I ask, indulge on you to read that, please, Brother Herman? Proverbs 29, 18. 
Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Hey, let's read that together. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Read it together. But he that keepeth the law, what is he? Yeah. There's happiness and obedience. First of all, God's happy that we're obedient. Amen? Amen. And second, when God's happy, I'm happy. Amen? I mean, that's just, that's just what God wants to know. Look at James 1.25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God. By the way, I like that description. It's the perfect law of liberty. Amen? And continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed or happy in his deed. A man had learned how to fly private passenger planes, you know, single engine planes. And uh, he took this plane up one particular day, but didn't realize that he would have to exercise and use, uh, be experienced a little bit more. He'd have to use this instrument landing type of stuff. And the, the day was kind of cloudy, and he was a little panicky, scared. And so he was talking with the, to the control tower, and they were guiding him in about bringing him in, bringing him in because he had to follow the instrument panel and so forth like that. And he became very nervous and anxious, and he kind of said things like, but, 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 and, uh, and he would just interject. And finally, the man that was guiding him said sternly over the radio, sir, you just obeyed the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. And I think that's a good thought for us. If we would just be, we follow through with God, we follow his instructions, God takes care of all the obstructions. Amen? Notice letter D. We, we can be happy because we have a fear of God. Amen. Proverbs 28, 13. I need someone to read that, please. Brother Long, can I have Brother Long read that, please? Proverbs 28, 13. I'm sorry, I think it's Proverbs 28, 14. I'm sorry, it must be, I put that down wrong. Is it Proverbs 28, 14? Happiness in man yes. feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Look at that thought. Happy is the man that feareth always. Now, that's connected to verse 13 and talking about confessing our sins and forsaking our sins is dealing with the fear of God. Listen to what Tozer said. When men no longer fear God, they transgress his laws without hesitation. The fear of consequences is no deterrent when the fear of God is gone. Hey, that's a great thought. You ought to just cut that out, type it up, and put it on your refrigerator somewhere. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Hey, we can be happy because we fear God. Now, the fear of God brings us into worship. The fear of God is the exercise of worship. The fear of God is a reverence for God, a love for the Lord. Then notice letter E, we can fear God when we are serving others. John 13. Brother Justin, can you read that? Where's the mic, uh, the, the handle? Brother Justin, can you read that? John, J John 13, verses 16 to 17. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now, what's he talking about there? The entire context is dealing with Jesus washing the feet of the, of, the, of, of, of the disciples. We see the picture of Jesus with a basin and a towel. That would be a great object illustration for a Sunday school class. Be good for you to just exemplify what Jesus was trying to say. He said, you need to serve one another. You'd be willing to go down and do the dirtiest tasks, the most menial tasks there. Back during the, during the, the Gulf War, 
On, on a Thanksgiving day, November 27, 2003, our President George W. Bush made a surprise visit to, the Iraq, to Iraq so he could visit our U.S. troops. President Bush was so, so elated and so thankful for what they did. He says, you know, somebody's got to remember them on Thanksgiving Day. No, he didn't tell anybody he was going to do this, not even his family. He made a surprise visit. He got on Air Force One and made a surprise visit to, to those men. And the president himself, Percy, served 600 soldiers Thanksgiving dinner. 600 soldiers. He, he said to them... <coughs> He said, he said of these soldiers, he says, it's got to be lonely for them. I thought it was important to send that message that we care for them. The visit was so well received by the battle-worn soldiers, it was a surprise to his family because they were expecting to show up at the ranch for, for Thanksgiving dinner, and he wasn't there. Can I tell you something tonight? Because I want to correct something. I'm going to do this publicly tonight. There's this prevailing criticism a mischaracterization of Heritage Baptist Church, I want you to be aware of this outside there. And that mischaracterization is saying, is going around, has influenced half a dozen of our people. And has said to them, this church burns people out. This church burns people out. Now, first of all, that's wrong. You need to come tell me about it. Don't be telling somebody else that's a weaker Christian. Listen, serving Jesus Christ is a joy. Listen, if you don't enjoy serving, you can just tell me, and that's fine. I'm not going to make a big ado about it. We tell people, listen, now I know some people are overcommitted. If you're overcommitted, that's a different thing. But there are some ministries that we commit to, and we tell you in advance, there's some things you commit to that are going to involve a little bit more time and effort. Choir or, hey, choir and orchestra, I mean, they're probably one of the hardest working ministries last year. I mean, they did the CD recording and things like that. And some of you who benefit from that, you every now and then, you need to write a letter to the choir and orchestra and tell them, hey, thank you for serving God that way. Amen? You know? But, you know, don't, don't go around telling people, especially someone who's naive or a new believer, going around telling them that this church burns people out. Listen, you burn yourself out. And when you burn yourself out, you burn your bridges when you do that. Amen. That is, a, that is a mischaracterization of Heritage Baptist Church. And that's a mischaracterization of any kind of church. How, do you, how does God build his church? Hey, listen. Tw tw these apostles, the book of Acts, if, if what you said is true, that, that kind of that characterization is going out there, you know what that means is? Then we wouldn't have a church today if those men didn't burn themselves out. I read my Bible. My Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for God is not in vain. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I mean, there's all kinds of verses that encourage us to serve God and give our best and all, but to go around and lead the church and tell somebody that we're burning people out, that's first of all a lie, that's a mischaracterization. That's a mischaracterization against the word of God. That's not right. And if you hear that stuff, you need to stand up as a member and say, listen, that is not true. You have a choice like anybody else. You can get involved or you can less your involvement. We're not, we're not going to tell you, well, you've got to do this. If you don't, you're not going to please God. If you're, you feel like you're overextended, you feel like you can't give your best and all, you feel like you're out of balance, that's fine. Get off of it. We'll, get, we'll help you through that situation. But don't go around telling people that we burn you out. That's wrong. Listen to what Jesus said here. He said here in, in John chapter 13, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you're not a happy servant, you're not right with God. And by the way, how, if, you, if you believe that, then you're trying to find a church that fits you. You're in the wrong church. You need to fit the church and not the church that fits you. 
Just like you put on clothes, you, you, don't, you don't treat church by putting on a clothes. You, I wear a size 40 jacket. That, that doesn't mean that I'm size 44. I'm going to be, uh, you know, that won't fit me. But I don't go, go to church looking for it to fit all situations. There's no church that fits all situations. And then notice letter F, we can be happy because when we have hardships. Brother Allen, could you read that? Can you get the Brother Wang? Can you have Brother Allen read that, please? Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. I've seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This week I was discipling with some new believers, and one of them asked this. Pastor Farrell, I have this question. He said, I tried to read the book of Job, and it was tough. How many, how many believe the book of Job is a little tough to read the first time? Amen? Okay. And he said, but I have these questions. What does it mean? And I took him over here to James chapter 5. Because James chapter 5 summarized so you can understand what it's all about. Would you notice what he says there? We count them happy which endure. You know, part of the journey of the Christian faith is going through suffering, going through hardship. By the way, you ought to thank God that he loved you enough to put that trial in your life. Amen? Amen. You ought to love, you know, thank God that he loved you enough to put it because he's teaching you the gift of endurance. And he says, you've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord and that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I mean, that's a wonderful thing for us to know. Napoleon had a general by the name of Messina. They're making a, an assault on a little small Austrian town. Messina took 18,000 of his men to make this assault. The town council had heard that this assault was coming. This large army of 18,000 rugged French soldiers. And the townspeople were scared and they were frightened and they wondered, what are we going to do in this situation? Or what, where, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And the preacher got up of the church there and he says, listen, it's Easter Sunday today. And he said, it's Easter Sunday and we still need to have church. We're not going to sit here in fear and trepidation about what Messina and Napoleon's army is going to do. He said, let's just go ring the bells and tell people we're going to have church. And you ring the bells with all that you have. And so they sent a man over there to the, to the church tower and he started ringing the bells. He said, ring it harder. He said, ring it harder. Ring it harder. And he's ringing the bells. He's ringing the bells. And the clang you could hear be heard from miles on end. And Messina's armies, they heard the bells ringing joyously. And while the people were hearing the bells, Bells were calling to the assembly. Messina's men heard the bells. They thought, uh-oh, they must be getting some, they must be rounding up some forces among the Austrians. They must have known we're coming. Messina never came and attacked them. They went ahead and had their service and a wonderful Easter service and God protected them because those people got the joy of realizing, let's just ring the bells with joy. Can I tell you tonight, you might be facing hardship, you might be facing difficulty, but you need to ring the bells of joy and say, God, thank you for putting that in my life and just say, Jesus, I don't know where it's all going to go, but I know one thing, you've got a perfect plan and I know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them we're called according to his purpose there and then notice letter G we can be happy when we trust in God Proverbs 16 20 he that handleth a matter wisely and you need to know this tonight he that handleth a matter wisely shall find good a lot of things get handled unwisely but I like the next part because it connects that part with the second part and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. An old man was asked one day what had robbed him of all the joy most of his lifetime. You know what he said? Things that never happened. Are you someone who's been robbed of your joy because you have difficulty trusting God? 
for your future, for your spouse, for your loneliness, for your trial, for your insecurities. By the way, if we did anything tonight, we just need to come before God, before this old-fashioned altar, every one of us, and surrender our terrible insecurities before God. Say, God, help me because I've got insecurities that have become a stronghold in my life. Moody said this, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you may have it taken from you. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God and you are never to be, conf uh, be confounded in time or eternity. We see the spirit of happiness. Quickly tonight, go back to chapter 49 of Genesis. Quickly tonight. Again, I said these are just a lot. Of, these are, I just gave you six components of, of happiness. There's many more. They're moving pieces in happiness. Now we see the spirit in happiness. Go back to verse 20. No, number two, would you write this down? I want you to see the supply in happiness. The supply in happiness. Would you notice verse 20 again? Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. There's some words I want you to notice. Notice the first set, out of Asher. The second set, he shall yield. This speaks, both of these speak of giving forth. The essence and essential of his character was one of giving. The essence and essential of his character was one of giving. What are you giving forth out of your life? What's coming out of you? Out of Asher shall come forth bread. His bread shall be fat. He gave his best. He gave his abundance. His yield shall be royal dainties. Acts 20, 25. Look what Jesus said here through the Apostle Paul quoting Jesus. I've showed you all things, how that's so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, and let's read that together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Read that together with me, please. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Hey, how many understand tonight? Happiness is found in giving. A lot of us find happiness in receiving. But Jesus said happiness is found in giving. He's talking about the supply. Out of Asher, he shall yield. Our produce, our product. What's coming forth out of you? Notice, first of all, tonight, would you notice the concept in giving? Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For at the same measure that ye meet with, it shall be measured to you again. In Matthew, in Luke 6, 38, we have a precept with a promise. Write that down. We have a precept with a promise. We have a command with a promise. William Carey said this, I was once young and now I'm old, but not once have I been witness to God's failure to supply my need when first I had given of the furtherance of his work. He has never failed in his promise, so I can never fail in my services to him. That's a blessing. It's a precept with a promise, but you notice something else. It is a challenge with a choice. It is a challenge with a choice. W. Clement Stone, who wrote the book, uh, something about uh, uh, something go rich or whatever there, he said this, there's a great joy in my giving. It's thrilling. It's exhilarating. It's important to be a part of sharing. It is my love. It is my only joy. I think he's the one that wrote the book. No, that's Napoleon Hill. Think and grow rich or something like that. But Clement Stone made a great statement there. Now, giving is a demonstration of grace at work in us. Giving is a demonstration of grace at work in us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me quote something to you that I thought was that we ought to hear. Someone said this, giving to God is a, dis is a grace, but not giving to God is a disgrace. 
Giving to God is a grace, not giving to God is a disgrace. We see the concept in giving, but the Bible tells us about the character giving. Would you notice 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 3? The character in giving. Jesus said this, freely you've received, freely what? Freely you've received, freely what? Give. Freely you receive, freely give. That's what he told his disciples. Don't have any, don't have any strings attached. And in 2 Corinthians 8, very familiar passage. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. Notice of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That, who were those churches? Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. How then a great child of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of the liberality. Now he's telling you some things that sound a little confusing. One, they, they were in poverty, deep poverty. But they were filled with joy or happiness. And because of those two combined together, it abounded unto liberal giving. The riches of liberality. In verse 3, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Now let me give you quickly some of the things that characterize grace giving. Number one, grace giving is characterized by, by its liberality. It's liberal. Now liberal is used in our context here as someone who's on the left. Someone who wants to give away your money and my money. Amen. You're a liberal. I'm going to change you to a conservative tonight. Amen. You want more government spending. Well, government spending, where do they get the money? Taxation. Look at the Bay Area. Look at California. We're an overtaxed state. They're trying to find more ways to tax us. Fire the politicians. Amen. Hire a preacher. Amen. The abundance of the liberality to the power and beyond the look at Look at Paul. There's a, but there's a good kind of liberal. The good kind of liberal is giving, giving based on God's give, idea of giving. He said, there is that scattereth and yet increases. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, but attendeth the poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered all himself. The law of giving and receiving. Grace giving is liberal. Notice grace giving is lively. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now I'm going to prepare you for the giving by faith banquet. Why? Because we need to start purposing in our heart. You, you can't be ready to give if you're waiting to that night and thinking how the mood of the meeting's going and how many special numbers you've heard and whether or not we served you prime rib or we gave you chicken that night. I mean, you can't let the circumstance affect you. You've got to get your heart ready right now, amen? You've got to purpose in your heart. That's why Paul told us about tithing, 1 Corinthians 16. Let every one on the first day of the week do what? Let him set aside as the Lord has prospered him. Amen? Amen. You're set aside. You have to purpose your heart. So every man, according to his purposes in the heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful or hilarious giver. Hey, giving should be lively, with excitement, with enthusiasm. Praise God, let's give. If it was my friend Dr. Randy, he'd get up and say, Glory! Woo! Glory! Glory! And he takes up a good offering. My friend, Dr. Rayner, once a year, they have a paycheck Sunday. Those poor Filipinos, they give an entire month paycheck for a building offering. They've done that for 40 years. You need to see what God has done there. No wonder God's poured out his blessings on that church. The Sunday I was there... It, 82,000 visitors came to all the facilities where they had church. 5,000 visitors just in the service I was preaching in. 
Brother Raphael Rococo can vouch for. They started a new work up in Taiwan, not far from where we preached. Brother Raphael happened to be there on business. He was there when they organized, they had it going there. They, how many visitors did they have that day? Do you remember? It was 100-something visitors on the first Sunday. Overseas foreign workers. Someone said this, two things ruin a church, loose living and tight giving. And the notice grace giving, it's liberal, it's lively, but you notice it's lasting. Jesus said, give. Paul uses the phrase once and again to describe giving. Peter Marshall said this, the measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. And so we see tonight, we see the we see the, the concept of giving, the character given quickly tonight. Notice the commitment in giving. On Sunday, May 19th, I'm challenging our church, and you're part of this right now, to once again join me in participating in a special offering that we need to raise to help us towards the debt reduction on our loans on this property. To the glory of God, we built this, this project within budget, much within budget in terms of where we thought it was going to wind up. We're thankful that our, our debt on the, on the, and I may be off a little bit here, Brother Lau could probably correct us, but, but on the Berean Center, we owe about $3.5 million on the Berean Center and another $1.1 million on the rest of the property. We owe about $4.6 million. We thank God for and we, we're, we're paying it down monthly. But, you know, by raising extra money, we can remove the burden of the debt faster and allow our cash flow to do more ministry expansion. Now, the Bible has something to say about raising funds for the church. Notice 2 Chronicles 24, verses 9 to 12. 2 Chronicles 24, verse 9 12. Not in your notes, please turn to that, please. And the Bible says this, and they made a proclamation throughout all of Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had laid upon Israel in the wilderness. He's taking them back. Hey, this, this, this collection business for God's work began with Moses, with the tabernacle, which was a tent. And now we're, we're, we're past that. We're at the time of Solomon's temple. And this was during the time of, of uh, where, they, where, where, where they're going to raise some more money here. And the Bible says, it, it says that uh, in verse 10, And all the princes and all the people rejoiced, and they brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. They had Joash's chest there, a big chest that they put money into. And by the way, it was all coin collection. Now it came to pass that at what time that the chest was brought into the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. Hey, listen, they raised this money to fix the house of God. Joash got to play after many years, he turned to Jehoiada and he said, why is the house of God forsaken? He says, the house of God's disrepair. Hey, we've got to raise up some money and get God's house fixed. Hey, leadership says, we've got to do something for the property. Listen, one of the immediate things we want to do is get the debt paid down so we don't have this albatross around our neck there. Brian Clue said this, no church ever has a money problem, only a faithfulness problem. Stephen Olford, one of the Great Bible expositors of days gone by, and the man that was who mentored John Phillips, the great Bible, Bible, Bible commentator. He said, I'm convinced that the devil has caused the subject of giving to stir up resistance and resentment among God's people because he knows there are a few ways of spiritual enrichment, like the exercise of faithful stewardship. Listen, one of the reasons why we need to do this is every now and then we need to stop and remind ourselves this is our building. And we must have ownership in it. And part of ownership is this, this eradicate the debt that's there. I'm not trying to get you to go broke. I'm not trying to spend your kids' 
college education. I'm not trying to get you to take away from retirement. I'm not doing any of that. Every man has he purposes in his heart. And I wish I had time to tell you of story after story of story of people since day one who've sacrificed and have given extraordinary ways that they've given and done things for the work of God. We wouldn't even be where we're at right now today on these two buildings if it hadn't been for the, the, the faithful giving of God's people. And I just have to tell you, sometimes when I get asked in preacher's meetings, describe what, what, what's going on here. I say, I really don't know how to describe what's going on here. I say, I tell you, it's just obedience and faith in God and realize this is, this is, this is an area that's it's not an easy area to build a church in. You take one step forward and three steps back and two steps forward and four steps back. It's not an easy area to build a church, but you just keep at it, Amen. Finally, tonight we see the spirit and happiness and supply and happiness. Would you notice going back to Genesis 49, we're done tonight. I want you to notice the substance in this happiness. The substance. Would you notice that we're done tonight? We're doing really good. Out of Asher's bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Circle, don't underline that last phrase. Circle, he shall yield royal dainties. Now the word yield is a good, good mathematical and financial term, we think of return on investment, do we not? What's the yield? What's the yield? He shall yield royal dainties. Now Jacob has some great foresight. He's giving prophecies about these sons. You know what he's saying there? His product, his giving, his substance is like a king. He's giving like a king. David said about Mephibosheth, he shall sit at my table and he shall eat there abundantly and continuously. He shall give like a king. A king is not stingy. When another king comes into existence, you read that in the, in the Old Testament, they give of their gold and of their abundance. A king giving like a king is giving of your abundance. He's giving abundantly. He shall yield his royal dainties. Would you notice this? He's saying he's a happy giver. He's a hearty giver, but would you notice this? He's the highest giver. He's the highest giver. He shall yield his royal dainties. <coughs> notice tonight, set First Chronicles 29. <coughs> First Chronicles 29, verse 2 and 3. I'm going to ask someone to read that. Where's the, where's the handheld? Somebody have the handheld? Brother James, can I ask you to read that? First Chronicles 29, verses 2 and 3. Brother James Quan, I'm going to ask you to read that. First Chronicles 29, verses 2 and 3. <coughs> Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold and of silver for the things of silver and the brass for the things of brass, the iron for the things of iron and wood for things of wood, onyx stone and stones to be set, blistering stones and of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Who's speaking? David. Who's he speaking about? Solomon. What's he speaking about? The house of God. He said, I have prepared with all my might. First <coughs> Chronicles 22. He prepared abundantly. And notice descriptively, the Holy Spirit wanted us to see descriptively <coughs> the abundance he prepared. And verse 3, he summed it up. Moreover, because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have my own proper good. He said, I'm giving out of my own coffers. I'm not giving the kingdom money. I'm giving my money. I will not give that to the Lord, which hath cost me nothing, he's saying. I've given to the house of my God over and above. Hey, giving like a king is liberal. 
It's lively. It's lasting. David came ready to give. It speaks about Asher. He shall yield his royal dainties. He gives his best. He gives the most. He gives the highest. It's giving like a king. Would you notice the choice of the word substance? Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. substance. Your royal dainties. And the first fruits of all the increase. As we close tonight, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? I want you to see David's greater son, the greatest king, and of the substance which he gave. And we see this king who's perpetual, who's sinless and harmless, holy and undefiled, sinning at the right hand of God. And verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice that word joy, that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I will tell you tonight that greater than David's sacrifice and David's giving, when the time came for our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give, he gave his all. He gave with joy. Consider Jesus, who the Bible says, who looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the happiness of his course, the joy in giving. Hey, help me understand tonight. When Jesus gave his body, he said, I delight to do thy will. I have come to do thy will, O God. He came joyously and happily, not reservedly. Listen, altar call time to surrender to the will of God ought to be a happy time, not a, not, not a sorrowful time. And he's saying here in Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he accepted the cross. He gave his best. He substance. What was his substance? He gave his body. He gave his blood. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, Jesus Christ, I'm thankful tonight. Set the highest paradigm example for you and I by giving his life for you and I. He set the example of a happy giver. Amen. Amen. A preacher is taking an offering for an event just like what we need to do. And by the way, let me just say this tonight. We've come a long way since 2010, 2011, something like that. We started doing these Giving by Faith Bank, which some of you were still in school. Some of you didn't even have your first job. Look how God's blessed you. Amen? Look at some of you going back to 2011, 2012. Where were you at in your careers where God has blessed you? And some of you now thriving in your careers. God knows what he's doing. And this preacher had this offering. He was circulating through the church. He said, church, we got to give our best and give our all. Lady had three of her sons with her on the front row, like right over here. The youngest son, four years of age, he didn't have any money. Didn't have a penny to his name. Mother gave what she could. Offering plate came by. They passed the offering plate one person to the other, even to the children. Little boy took the offering plate, looked at it. His little brother said, don't take any money out of there. He said, no, I'm not going to take any money out of there. He put the offering plate down on the floor, and the little boy stood inside the offering plate. Mama said, what are you doing? He said, I don't have any money to give, so I'm going to give the best thing I can. I'm going to give myself. That's what God asks us to do, according to 2 Corinthians 8. Give of yourself first to the Lord. Give of yourself to the Lord. You're not going to be a cheerful giver or a biblical giver until you first gave yourself. By the way, if you knew today you were going to die, what would you give to the Lord? 
What would you give to the Lord? What would you do in the next 24 hours? If you knew today you were going to die, what would you give to the Lord? Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield his royal dainties. Aren't you glad tonight God wants us to be happy Christians? Wants to be happy in the Lord tonight. I heard you tonight. I gave you a lot of content tonight. As someone said to me today, there was a lot of information. But you need to take that tonight and examine your heart. Do you fit that description, those characterizations of happiness tonight? If nothing else, you just should be happy that you're saved. And thank God tonight that you get a chance to serve him and honor him. We give invitation tonight. If you're not saved, you're not going to be truly happy until you get saved and get Christ in your heart. I invite you to get saved like the lady did this morning. And I invite you tonight, Christian friend, if you're miserable inside, you're suffering because of something that was said tonight, hey, get happy in the Lord. Get your joy back. Don't let the joy robbers take it from you. Get it back from the Lord. Father, tonight, as we give the invitation, help us to honor, please, and exalt you tonight. Thank you for Asher. The Bible says, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat. He shall yield his royal dainties. And tonight, Lord, we just consider that what's coming out of our life. Are we giving our best? Are we giving like a king? Or do we have happiness in the Lord? And the Bible speaks as we look at Asher about his spirit about his supply, about his substance. He shall yield his royal dainties. Father, please take tonight the study which is not thorough. Help us to remember tonight that we're most happy when we're also obedient. Where there's no vision, the people perish, and happy is the man that keepeth the law. Have your way in our hearts tonight. It might be in the area of separation, the service, obedience, fear of God, trusting the Lord. It might be concerning the forgiveness of sins. Whatever it may be tonight, it may be a part of our giving and how we give. Please have your way. Prepare us, Lord, tonight. For just three weeks from now, for the May 19th special offering. I pray that we'd come with cheerful dispositions and just give ourselves, like the little boy, I'm going to give of myself and give the best I have. And Father, tonight I pray for whatever struggles we have. Perhaps some are struggling with strongholds. And uh, Lord, perhaps who they're getting their counsel from. And for some, maybe perhaps it's about their association friends. They're maybe pulling them in the wrong direction. For some, perhaps they've gotten around scornful people. And those scorners have affected their spirit. Help us tonight realize the word of God has the answer. Lord, he's as happy as the man. And Father, we want to be that man. We want to be that woman. As we give the invitation, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand, please? God's worked on your heart. Why don't you come join us at the altar tonight? Would you pray for your children's happiness? Would you pray for your friends' happiness, your family's happiness? Would you pray for your parents' happiness? Happiness is not what I do for you. Happiness is what you do for other people. What's your happiness tonight? Why don't you come tonight and get your heart ready for the Giving by Faith Banquet? And get ready to participate in what I pray will be a, a, a just wonderful evening. I'm not asking for record breakers or anything like that. We just want to come with a disposition ready to give and participate and be used of God. Would you come tonight? Would you come tonight? Give your best. Give your all. He shall yield his royal dainties. He's giving like a king. Giving that's liberal. Giving that's lively giving that's lasting. How about it tonight? Are you thankful tonight your sins are forgiven? The Lord imputes not iniquity to you. 
Aren't you glad about that tonight? Obey God's word. Follow the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Strengthen our faith. Stir us up. God, help us to influence our world by being happy people, a people that delight themselves in the Lord. Lord, I pray we'd be a good representation of Christ. Children saying today, he's, he's still working on me. Thank you tonight. You're still working on us. You've begun a good work in us. Continue to perform it to the day of Christ. Lord, we want to leave tonight with a smile on our face, the joy of the Lord in our heart. And we thank you for Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And Paul, Paul went on to say this, Consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. God, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the example of joy and happiness and disposition. I pray that husbands would take the initiative as leaders to make sure that their wives and their children are happy. And I pray for wives and mothers to detect and know sometimes when their husband's spirit is down, and the children's spirit down, they'll see themselves as an initiator to help them be happy. Help me, God, as a pastor tonight to sense when our spirit's down as a church and we're happy and excited and enthused about all that God you're doing. Help us to give a good representation of Christ and honor the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives tonight. Father, it's a joy to serve you. It's a joy to honor you and to be delighting ourselves in Christ. Dismiss us tonight with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name.